there's still some confusion as to whether or not there's anybody else in this house. I told you there isn't. There isn't any confusion or there isn't anybody else? Either. Or both. Just give me a clear answer. Certainly. <clears throat> what was the question? Is there anybody else in the house? No! no! Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And I am not entirely clear on whether anyone else is inside the house. (laughs) That actually sounds really terrifying when you don't have any context for it. It's it's a large house, so... We do. Is it a large house? It's large-ish. In the movie? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which is... Well, it's Clue. It is Clue. Based off of the board game Clue. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. We're actually (laughs) shortcutting right to uh, the writers of this movie. And now here's what I've noticed. Yeah. Also, what what did I do to shortcut us? Is this a secret passage to the next topic? Well, the fact that you mentioned based off the board game. Oh, yeah. Because it is something that I wanted to bring up. Not the fact that it's... Based on the board game, I think probably most people know that. And just for <laughs> for, for reference, uh, yes, today's movie is Clue, 1985. But the reason why I'm diving right in is because it wasn't just this, like, nebulous, you know, company that created this board game. There was a person. There was actually a board game designer. And he was not credited for... For, for the movie? Th- yeah, for the well, movie. I mean, that's interesting because obviously without him, there there's no movie. But would you credit him as like as like the story or the source or like what would that credit look like? Uh, well, you know, IMDb made a point of including him, although they, you know, it's an uncredited credit. So the gentleman's name is Anthony E. Pratt. How do you pronounce that? The board game that I think it's Cluedo. Cluedo. Yeah. And then the American version. Clue. Way back when it first came over, mm-hmm. it was Clue. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess, you know, if he was working, I, I don't know the specifics of his association with, what is it? Is it Hasbro? Oh, I don't um, know. I think it's Parker Brothers, Par- but I don't. Thank you. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know if, like, he went to the company and said, hey, I have this idea for a board game. If maybe he was, like, in-house and was just one of their designers on their payroll. I don't know. Rampant speculation. Yeah, but I just thought it would be nice to give him a little bit of acknowledgement. Look, right? I'd rather give him acknowledgement than the other guy. I know, I know. I mean, not Jonathan Lynn. He's fine. Sure, but no. Yes, you're But I'm talking us- about the guy where I would say it was the movie set with the helicopter mm-hmm. by John Landis. That would be mm-hmm. me solving that particular awful thing that happened. Yeah. And I was surprised. I didn't realize that he had any association with this movie. I just never never clocked it. Mm-mm. But he does have a story by credit for Clue. And we have brought him up before. We sure have. Um, he actually, we sure have. <laughs> we've brought him up before in a lot of different circumstances but the actual episode where he features predominantly is our blues brothers episode which was i think pretty early on in season two 
So you can go back to that episode. It's been a while since I've listened to it, but I have a pretty good feeling that we probably made our feelings known about him then. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies, and yeah. I'll give I, I have no problem giving credit where credit is due. Sure. But but he has he has like done some pretty bo- pretty awful bad things. Yeah. I mean real He's quick, responsible for some terrible things. Yes. Um, real quick, let me get through some of his other, like specifically writing credits. I mean, he is primarily known as a director. Yeah. Um, but among his writing credits, we do actually have the Blues Brothers. We have another film that we really love, except for the horrendous shower scene, American Werewolf in London. What were they even doing? Right. It was like, do we, do we get clean? (laughs) Do we get dirty? We don't know. We don't know how. He has a like a character credit for then its sequel, An American Werewolf in Paris, which we could not get through. Would we get through maybe a half hour of it? It was shockingly bad. Not one of those like so bad it's good. It was just not maybe you just good. have to be ready for it. Maybe, maybe I was I was prepared for something more like the first one, and what I got was something more like Jason X. <laughs> Although I really enjoy Jason X. Well, that's where they uh, differ. Uh, and then also he has a writing credit for another sequel, Blues Brothers 2000. Now, mm. if you're not aware, I mean, look, this is not an episode on Jan- John Landis, but what we're referring to is the fact that he was the director of the Twilight Zone, the movie, and he was very instrumental in coordinating a very dangerous scene that never should have been done. It was done after hours. He paid parents under the table to get their kids in this shot. There are children, there's a helicopter, and unfortunately there was a horrific onset accident where two children and an actor were killed. And I think the reason why a lot of people have very strong feelings about that situation is because he never really showed remorse or nor took, faced any real consequences yeah, or took really yeah. any um, responsibility for what happened. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what really upsets people. I mean, he never should have taken any of those actions to begin with because it is squarely on his shoulders that those people died uh, because of him trying to get that after our shot. Um, in any case, that's why. Fuck you, John Landis. <laughs> okay, so moving on. I mean, maybe he listens. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> so moving on to, you mentioned him, Jonathan Lynn. Yeah. He is also the director of this film, but he has a story by credit and a screen by credit. So uh, very instrumental in the writing of this film. And we, we talk about this with Andy because... I think we all are in agreement about how amazingly well-written this movie is in terms of just the, like, rapid-fire dialogue, the intricacies of the plot, and that's on him. Like, that's amazing that he was able to pull this together. And, you know, as far as his, like, writing credits go, this also comes up with Andy. It's funny because he's British. There's – there – there is a wide swath of credits that he has, but that we're not probably really familiar with because I think they are British entities. But it's really funny if you look at some of his TV work specifically. He has writing credits for these shows called Doctor at Large, hmm. Doctor in Charge, mm-hmm. Doctor at Sea, Doctor on the Go. 
So that's the Doctor series. And then he has another for Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. (laughs) So he really likes going back to these kind of properties. It's funny. As well as a film called Nuns on the Run. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. You know it? Yeah. I don't know it. I know of that movie. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, now we're going to pivot into him as a director. This was his very first feature film. Okay. That he ever directed. So well done because it's a great movie. Uh, but among his other, like, specifically directing work, he did also direct Nuns on the Run. And I had forgotten when I was, like, doing my notes when we were chatting about him with Andy, a movie that you really appreciate. He directed My Cousin Vinny. I appreciate that movie. <laughs> I do. As you have mentioned, it seems to do a pretty good job of accurately um, portraying the way that a courtroom works. It gets more things during right. A trial. I will say it gets more procedural aspects correct than a few good men, but that's uh that's a different whole different thing because of the type of military courtroom they're in anyways. You can't handle the truth. Oh, yeah. Nevertheless. Okay. Nevertheless. So he directed My Cousin Vinny, The Distinguished Gentleman, Sergeant Bilko, The Whole Nine Yards. And then as far as like going back again to that TV work, he did direct on Yes, Prime Minister. I just like (laughs) saying it that way. So that is Mr. Jonathan Lynn. And although, you know, we don't have like a huge number of credits to speak of with him. I mean, he just did such a phenomenal job with this movie. I mean, he now to be fair, he was working with exceptional comedic actors. So that's like saying I coached Michael Jordan, no offense to Phil Jackson, but like, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, you're, when you're working with the best. Well, um, I think I, I, the fact that you feel like you actually have like fully fleshed out characters that yeah. are just based off of board game pieces. Yes. Yes. I think like, obviously the talent had to execute on that and they did a great job. But just to, like, create this world based off a board game and bring it to life in such an amazing way, Mm -hmm. he definitely deserves credit for that. Absolutely. 100%. Okay, so moving on to cinematography. Gentlemen, and I'm kind of surprised that, like, he hasn't come up before. I think he certainly will in the future with some other titles. Victor J. Kemper. Are we sure he hasn't? Are we going to go right to our call to action? No, I don't think, I really don't think he's come up. Please let us know how many times we've talked about Victor Kemper. There are credits that I feel very confident will be covered in the future. He's still with us, 95 years old. uh, And yeah, he's had a really fun career, some really fun titles. This came up a couple episodes ago. I don't remember exactly for what movie, but I brought it up because it was like, oh, my God, there is a movie called this. They might be giants. Oh, okay. Like the band. Yeah. And that's exactly what you said, I think, <laughs> the last time I brought it up. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, I think this one has come up as well. I just, this title is, is oh, chef's kiss. Who is Harry Kellerman and why he, why is he saying those terrible things about me? Hmm. That's like a movie title. It's like, um, <laughs> what do you, if you're going to the theater, what do you say? Like, I think you would just say Harry Kellerman. Please. I'd like two tickets for who is Harry Kellerman and why is he saying <laughs> those terrible things about me? 
That's right, too, please. I mean, that's really dating us to even think that people go to the movie theater and just, like, buy their tickets at the <laughs> at the window anymore. God damn it. You're right. <laughs> In any case, the good old days. Uh, he shot The Candidate, Dog Day Afternoon, The Last Tycoon, Slapshot. Nice. I love that movie. You don't like that movie as much. As it's I okay. Do. I like that movie. Yeah, I love hockey, but that movie's just okay for me. <laughs> oh, God. The Jerk. And now here are some of the films that I'm sure we will cover. He shot Xanadu, Mr. Mom, mm. National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He did Crazy People, Beethoven, Tommy Boy, Jingle All the Way. And then he's very much still with us, but his last credit was in 2006 when he shot Bring It On, All or Nothing. I think we might also cover Cloak and Dagger. With Dabney Coleman. Oh, yes. You have brought that up before. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Of course. Why not? Everything's on the table. So. We'll do it. We'll do it. That's Mr. Kemper. Okay. Moving on to music by Mr. John Morris. Unfortunately, he is no longer with us. He passed in 2018. But he has a really interesting career, too. It's very clear that he had some very strong professional alliances So among some of his credits as composer, we have The Producers. Mm, I've heard of that. Really quickly, you're going to begin to see these associations. Blazing Saddles, for which he got a Best Original Song Oscar nomination. Really? Yes, for the the titular song, Blazing Saddles. Okay. Not for the French mistake. No. Okay. For Blazing Saddles. Uh, He composed on Young Frankenstein. So... He has a relationship with Brooks. Mel yes, Brooks. Mel yeah, Brooks, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, as, as really quickly, it's becoming clear. So he composed on The Adventure of Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother. That one, I think, came up a couple episodes mm. ago as well. He then gets a Best Original Score Oscar nomination for The Elephant Man. Very different kind of movie. I would say so. Yeah. but So this was like a two-time Oscar-nominated composer. Uh, he did History of the World Part 1, Johnny Dangerously, Spaceballs. Mm. Now, he composed on Dirty Dancing. However, that was so early along in our uh, podcasting career. I don't know if that's even what nope, you would call this. But, <laughs> but, um, so I don't think he really featured predominantly. If anything, I think we probably were talking about more the soundtrack. It has such an iconic Yeah, soundtrack. I mean, not to take anything away from right. him, but, yes. but I think there, there are some movies where obviously they, they have a composer for, for music in the, in the film, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, like... Um, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, Little Shop yeah. of Horrors. That one where Kevin Bacon is dancing around like <laughs> he's so footloose. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, that's it, in fact, footloose. Yes. So those are like, yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Dirty Dancing. I think of mm-hmm. like Swayze's because own that was, song. that was on incredibly wall. intentional. Yeah. Like that is what they wanted the music. So again, to your point, not to take away from him, but he is the composer on Dirty Dancing, Ironweed, and then he also did like a lot of TV movies. So that is Mr. Morris. Okay. Moving on to film editing, uh, as has been the trend of late. There must we, always be two. There must always be two. So that's exactly what we have here. Although... Um, are these guys different? Do they do different things? Or are these two of the same guys that just do all the same stuff? Well, I think this... Okay, if I'm reading between the lines correctly, 
I think that probably the second gentleman worked in kind of a, an assistant position to the first gentleman. Oh. That's like kind of what I picked up. So the first gentleman, David Brotherton, and again, some really interesting credits. So he got his start. Now, I know that this eventually, I think the movie precedes the TV show. Probably more people, I never watched it, it was before our time, but there was the TV show Peyton Place. Oh, yeah. But uh, he cut the movie okay. Peyton Place. And then what's interesting, because this isn't super common, it had a sequel, Return to Peyton Place, and he cut that too. Hmm. So that doesn't always happen. Um he was, so by the time we get to Clue, he is very far along in his career. We're talking like the 1950s for some of these early credits. And he also cut The Diary of Anne Frank. Okay. Um, well, those are two movies that I wouldn't necessarily consider to be part of the same uh, book of work. But there you go. Yeah, right. Uh, incredible, incredible movie. Highly recommend people watching it. Uh, he did The Sandpiper. He cut On a Clear Day, You Can See Forever. He gets an Oscar nom for Best Film Editing on Cabaret. I definitely thought you were going to say that uh, Van Damme movie, Lionheart, but okay. <laughs> we're getting there. Okay. So he gets his uh, one and only Oscar uh, nomination. Or I'm sorry, he won. I Did I say nomination? He actually won. I'm, I well, apologize look, for that. You got to no- get nominated to win, so. <laughs> so it's true. That's true. He did get a nomination and he also won. He, I put this one in, too, because he seems to have this, like, association with films that eventually... I don't know how much of a connection there is, but he cut on the film Westworld. Mm. I wonder if uh, that makes any sense compared to the series. Oh. Burn. I mean, I don't... I don't understand. (laughs) I feel like going into the uh, A Few Good Men monologue, like, I'm an educated man, but I cannot speak intelligently (laughs) on the plot of Westworld. That was well done. <laughs> he cut on. Now, we're not talking about like, what is it, 1903, but later on uh, a version of The Great Train Robbery. Hmm. So he did that. Cannery Row, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Baby Legend of the Lost, or Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. Legend of the Lost Secret, Legend <laughs> by the Baby. Lionheart. Mm-hmm. The Pickup Artist, Malice, and then No Longer With Us, City Hall was his last credit. Mm. So the other gentleman, though, that is credited... He probably has even more, right? More credits? No. Like twice as many? No. Oh. I don't know if... I, I don't know. I, I, you know, it would take a lot more than what we can do for the podcast to do super deep dives into all the careers of these people, especially if they don't have these, like long list of credits that make it pretty clear where their time in their career has gone. Call to action. What's but, going on with Richard Haynes? <laughs> <laughs> but he is credited as an editor on this film. And then among his other Yeah, credits, what else did he work? He probably, since there were fewer, he probably was restricted to just the best of the best, right? So he also cut on Lionheart. Yeah, that, so there you go. And then he has credits, and this is why I think he probably worked as brother Bretherton's assistant because he has an assistant editor credit for both the pickup artist and Malice. On Malice, he's first assistant. Also, but, I uh, I have to apologize. There is 
a Van Damme movie called Lionheart, but the Lionheart that we're talking about is not that Lionheart. Is not that one. It's one starring Eric Stoltz about a young knight intent on joining King Richard's Crusaders. Okay, well that checks out. Very different. For the name. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's very literal. <laughs> okay. So, we're already at the stars of this film of which there are several. I mean, I I probably almost to a redundant point brought this home with Andy, but I just I adore this movie for just all the different actors in it. They're all so funny, so talented, and we're going to kick things off with Ms. Eileen Brennan. She plays Mrs. Peacock. And I mean, no longer with us, but she had an incredible career. Not always. I mean, I I do say this with Andy that like most of the actors outside of I think Tim Curry. This is just my personal opinion. I think they're mostly known for their comedic work. She she yeah. certainly did do some more serious fare, but she among her credits we have Divorce American Style. Um, to that point about more serious work, she's in the Last Picture Show and it's a <laughs> sequel. Texasville. Uh, the Last Picture Show. Amazing movie that is incredibly depressing. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. I love her and The Sting. Yes. That's where I, I, I've tried to like remember where to like I most kind of like associate or what movie do I remember her most from? And it's that role in The Sting. Yeah. I would say probably for me uh, between The Sting and this movie are yeah. the two that I associate her with. Murder by Death. Mm, that'll do it. <laughs> she did do uh, definitely some TV work. She was on the TV series 13 Queens Boulevard. So she actually did get a Best Supporting Actress Oscar nomination for Private Benjamin. This just goes back. Oh, yeah. The, I f- always forget there was a TV series. First, there was the film. Yeah. yeah. And this goes back to my point that I, again, I'm probably becoming a bit of a broken record. I cannot imagine a reality where you would get a Best Supporting Actress nomination for a film like that today. I think it's a great film, but I feel like they would not, it would not even be a thought yeah. to give someone Oscar acknowledgement for a role like that. In any case, she was on the TV series A New Kind of Family. And then, to your point, they made Private Benjamin a TV show. And so she reprised her role and did that. She was in the film The Funny Farm, the TV show Off the Rack. She did The New Adventures, a Pippi Longstocking. Um, she went back and forth, actually, quite readily. She did the TV show The All-New Dennis the Menace. Uh, yeah, just lots of different TV, like, one-offs TV appearances. Mm. But she did Jeepers Creepers, uh, Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous, and then more TV, Seventh Heaven. Uh, I think Andy brought it up. She was on Will and Grace. Her final yeah. credit, because she's no longer with us, was Naked Run. All right. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to the gentleman that we just brought up, Tim Curry. So he plays Wadsworth. And again, this was chatted about with our guest. Some of these individuals associated with this movie. Their list of credits are ridiculous. Like, they just work and work and work some more. And this guy, so far, I mean, he's still very much active. He has 240 acting credits. And probably among his early work, the earliest thing that I would say most people associate him with is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, absolutely. 
Do you, I, I don't think, have we ever watched that movie together? Uh, we probably haven't because I've never watched it. <gasps> what? <laughs> You've never seen, oh, wow. I, I have seen him in the uh, video that's readily available on YouTube, Tim Curry in The Worst Witch. Which is like kind of like a, a weird acid trip fever dream Halloween themed song. Okay. So look, if you just want to see some super weird thing with Tim Curry, definitely Google The Worst Witch. I mean, you could kind of say the same for Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> it's, it's weirder than that. It, Although I haven't seen it. What I have seen of both. I mean, it's great. It's so fun. There's a reason why it has like this like crazy cult following i'll watch it eventually um it 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 is a really fun movie and he's in i mean and like as his credits show i had a really hard time paring it down but he veers between different genres very easily so we go from like rocky horror picture show to annie to you brought this up i think with andy legend Mm -hmm. that movie's amazing i mean you don't even know it's really him but his performance is still like just amazing. And in like addition to his like on camera work, he has an amazing voice. And so that has lent itself to a ton of voice work. So he was like on the TV series, Paddington bear, uh, credited as Mr. Curry. So I'm not sure if they, yeah, he probably again of all the many credits that he has, I would say a lot of people probably associate him with the TV miniseries. It, I know that there was like a lot of talk when the films came out, kind of comparing him against Bill Skarsgård for who who was the better Pennywise. They had such a different tone in the remake and the like the actual theatrical versions of those. But at the time, that like TV series for it with Curry as Pennywise was really good. It yeah. just it hasn't aged well. Mm-hmm. Like our kind of like sensibilities of what you would like consider like good production values Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just like the how sinister you want the tone like it's very different but at the time it was great and i think like his performance still holds up pretty well like a lot of other things don't but but yeah it's it's tough to like to get compared with like what Skarsgård was able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually going to say exactly that. I am not nearly as familiar with all of those different projects as you are because you. I know you're a Stephen King fan, but if I had to take a venture, I would say the same that like his performance holds up, but like as a whole, the series kind of shows itself for being like what was it 1990 I think yeah I mean I think that's I think him in that role is the reason why it's even still part of a conversation sure sure that's fair so he was in the film Oscar he did more voice work for Peter Pan and the Pirate I mean it's so funny to me because he does you know very kind of adult stuff like Rocky Horror or It but then he does like all these kid shows too <laughs> I mean, famously, he's Long John Silver in Muppet Treasure Island. Yes, yes. Uh, I think, yeah, I have that on my list. Sorry, so he, I, I skipped ahead. No, that's ahead. okay. That's all right. So he was in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, The Three Musketeers, The Shadow, Congo. You just said it. Muppet Treasure Island. He does more voice work for The Mighty Ducks, the animated series. He's in McHale's Navy. <laughs> the movie's so, it's so bad, but it's so bad that it's kind of fun. He does more voice work for the TV series Jumanji, as well as I did this one for you, Voltron, the Third Dimension. Oh, that's the uh, that's the DreamWorks version of it, I think, right? Oh, oh, I don't know, I don't know if that's a DreamWorks. Maybe I don't know. 
He is in the film Charlie's Angels, Scary Movie 2. He's in the TV show Family Affair, the film Kenzie. Does more voice work, a lot of it, in fact, for Star Wars The Clone Wars. Because mm. he's um, the Emperor, I believe. He's Palpatine? Palpatine? Yeah. yeah. And um, Darth Sidious. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, I already named, like, over 20 credits for this guy, but that's just, like, a fraction. Like, he's just done so much TV, so much... What fraction do you think it is? (laughs) Five-eighths? I can't do my math right now, but if you do, you know, I said 240, and I listed, like, 20... Anyway. I think we did, like, a solid 116th. Okay. Something, I don't know, less than that, but... Okay, so moving on to Madeline Kahn... I love her, too. And she also is no longer with us. It's not fair. She played Mrs. White in this film. We bring up with Andy that her, she has this, like, moment in the movie that is just. Where she admits to the killing of yes, her husband. Yes. And, like, her reaction to seeing him in, in having this affair. Yeah. Just flames. Flames. <laughs> She was so good. And yeah, I mean, she definitely, I think, even more solidly than Eileen Brennan had her foot in the comedy world. She was in the film. I love this movie. What's up, Doc? So good. Uh, She also got a couple Oscar nominations, again, for roles that I feel like, nope, wouldn't happen today. Maybe for Paper Moon. Yeah. I I could... possibly see that still getting some oscar attention she got a best supporting actress oscar nomination but she also got a supporting actress oscar nomination for blazing saddles that's man it's wild to me that that movie received the acclaim Mm, that it mm -hmm, did mm -hmm. It, it obviously like the whole point of the movie is to like lay all this out like how ridiculous a lot of racist bullshit is, but yes. it did it in a way where I honestly don't know if people would like, would, would just be immediately so shocked by what they're seeing and hearing that they wouldn't be able to see past it to right. like the humor that Brooks was interjecting into this. Yeah. Which thank you for saying that because that also, that was like my next point is that she very much was a collaborate collaborator with Mel Brooks. Mm. Um, she also was in young Frankenstein. She also was in the adventure of Sherlock Holmes, smarter brother. Are you sure you're pronouncing the, that one movie correctly? I was convinced I it was Frankenstein. Fra- oh, <laughs> Like, what did I say? I mean, I didn't even doubt you because I often say stuff wrong, but she was in the Muppet movie, so not Treasure Island, but she was in Muppet movie. She also was in History of the World Part One. She voice did some voice work. She did some voice work in an American Tale. She was in Betsy's Wedding, Mixed Nuts, uh, and then like a little bit of a pivot from her no- normal work. She was in Nixon. And then as far as like her final credit, she was on the TV series Cosby for quite a while. Mm. So I know, but that's not on her. Oh, I know. Okay. So, moving on to Mr. Christopher Lloyd. He plays Professor Plum. Another workhorse so far. Now, the last time we brought him up, because it wasn't too long ago. No, Roger Rabbit. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So, the last time we spoke about him was for Roger Rabbit. I believe that was, like, our second-to-last episode of season two. So you are welcome to head back to that episode and check it out. At the time, he had 238 credits. 
Now he has 242 credits. Okay. So like I said, these people, they like to keep busy. Because it hasn't been a huge amount of time since the last time we spoke about him. We're just going to update the new ones? <laughs> I'm just going to really quickly go over some of his big hits. Uh, now, his very first credit, and this has come up before, was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. Not, not a bad way to enter the industry. A lot of people, you brought this up with Andy. He's, I think, for like an older generation, very well known for his work in Taxi. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I still I still remember him from that, and I didn't even like that show. Well, we, I mean, we were so young. Like, that wasn't really meant for us. No, but <laughs> no it was not. Uh, he's in Mr. Mom. I Man, we got to get that one on the schedule. I love that movie too much. He is in, or was in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. He was a pretty aggressive Klingon, even for Klingons. Yeah. <laughs> He and, and this is another movie that this actually was the finale of season two. He also was in The Adventures of Buckaroo ba- Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Yeah, he was Mr. John Big Booty. Yeah, yeah. So we actually had talked about him back to back. Yeah. Uh, so it is fun. I mean, he's such a great actor. I love any almost anything that he's in. Way back in the day, we talked about him in Back to the Future. We sure did. That yes. was all the way back in season one, if you want to check that one out. And then, of course, he came back for those sequels. So he is Doc in the second and third movies. I Did it come up when we were talking with Andy? I think it's just so interesting that Clue and Back to the Future came out the same year. But his look mm-hmm. between the two movies, it's, it's phenomenal to see the difference. And also I think that speaks to like the way that, you know, obviously the aesthetic of a character informs who they are and like what expectations you have around that character. I will say this much, this much about his uh, aging, about the, the make hair and makeup job that they did on aging him. Mm -hmm. They did back in the eighties, a much better job, a much better job than they did for the character Sam Winchester on the penultimate, or no, the actual last episode of Supernatural. <laughs> Good God. Sure. You know what I thought you were going to bring up? No, I don't. I thought you were going to bring up Doctor Strange. Oh. <laughs> zombie Doctor Strange. No, Zombie Strange, uh, the makeup on that was a little, looked a little off. I mean, when you compare that, now we are really going off the rails, but we're, like when yeah. you compare that to Vecna, man... The like anyway, back to Christopher Lloyd. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So we mentioned Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He also was in Eight Men Out, The Adams Family. He comes back for Adam Adams Family Values. Great Uncle Fester. Yeah, he was Angels in the Outfield. He has definitely outside of Taxi done other television work. He was in the TV show Deadly Games, I Dream, more film work, Baby Geniuses, Piranha 3D, mm. Before the Dawn 3D, and I am not a serial killer. That has come up probably because of him and the fact that we have spoken about him a couple times. I think so. Yeah. So that's Mr. Christopher Lloyd. Okay, so moving on. Again, another familiar face that we've brought up in the past, Mr. Michael McKeon. Mm-hmm. He plays Mr. Green. Again, these people, they like to keep busy. So far, 247 acting credits. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's been a minute. 
since we've talked about him, he came up probably a little bit more than a year ago on our This is Spinal Tap episode. Mm -hmm. So you can certainly go check that one out if you want to hear more about our thoughts on him there. But among some of his credits, again, just like so so many phenomenal comedic performances even if maybe the project itself like for instance 1941 he's in 1941 i know that didn't do too great it did not uh same (laughs) thing with used cars that one didn't do too great he was in young doctors in love probably a lot of people if maybe they're more interested in television know him from laverne and shirley yes he was uh lenny yes right yes he was lenny not Squiggy. Not Squiggy. Yes. Uh, as mentioned, this is Spinal Tap. Probably, hands down, in my humble opinion, the best mockumentary ever made. Yeah, I think, I think. I think you might be right. He has a really fun little bit role in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He is in Short Circuit 2, Earth Girls Are Easy, Airheads, Radioland Murders, The Pretty Bunch Movie. He does the TV show Dream On. He has also done voice work. Oh, yeah. He did voice work for 101 Dalmatians, the series. Moving back to film, we have Teaching Mrs. Tingle, Mystery Alaska. And now we're getting into him reteaming with Christopher Guest. They both obviously were in This Is Spinal Tap. And then Christopher Guest became really the driving force between all these other really wonderful mockumentaries. So he was in Best in Show, a Mighty Wind, for which Michael McKeon is actually an Oscar-nominated professional. He got it for Best Original Song. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So he did that. He's also in For Your Consideration. Um, other work he's done, Little Nicky. Uh, the Adam Sandler movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The TV series. So this is much more recently Good Omens. Okay. This movie is like all over the place getting advertised at the moment. Jerry and Marge go large. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. it. I feel like everything yeah. we put on, I see a commercial for that. Yep. Uh, the TV show Grace and Frankie. And then probably a lot of people. I'm, I'm, we talk about this with Andy. I am cautiously optimistic for Spinal Tap 2. I'm cautiously pessimistic. Oh, wow. Yeah, I want to set my expectations right. Ooh, I mean, it's fair. It's fair to feel that way. The only I reason- just I don't think they can do it, but I'm willing to to like root for them, and I hope that that it comes out. I know nothing about what this sequel is supposed to be. However, the fact that they are reteaming all the original creatives with Michael McKeon, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer, Rob Reiner, that I love. I love that they're able to bring everybody back. And given that the first movie was about these aging rock stars who are having a really hard time with the fact that they just aren't as popular as they used to be, I think it could be really interesting to see them 40-something years later and how their lives have turned out since then. Look, it could be the rock documentary version of Maverick. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, that is Mr. McKeon. All right, moving on to Mr. Martin Mull. He plays Colonel Mustard. You know, for the longest time, I always thought as a kid, like, because the way that you say Colonel looks nothing like the way you spell it. (laughs) 
And so I... Who is this uh, colonial mustard guy? Exactly. For the longest time, I was like... But it is... I'm sorry. That's weird. It's weird that it's spoken so differently than the way that it's spelled. Anyway. Another great comedian. uh, Kind of started out primarily in television, but he also has, like, just kind of swung back and forth pretty easily among some of his early work. We have the TV show Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. I think that just came up um, in our last episode. That is familiar. He was also in the TV show Fernwood Tonight, Hmm. America Tonight, like the number two. Yeah. He was in the film My Bodyguard. I love this movie title. He was in Take This Job and Shove It. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the song. I ain't working here no more. Oh. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, got any got any relation to that or... I don't know either. Or, I don't know what it's all about. He also was in Mr. Mom. So yes, he had yeah. the more predominant role um, in comparison to Christopher Lloyd, but he's great in that. He was in Ski Patrol, the TV show His and Hers, and then more film work, Mrs. Doubtfire, Mr. Wright, also in Jingle All the Way. Hmm. He was in... Uh, the TV show Roseanne, and then, yeah, like, a lot of really iconic TV shows, Roseanne, Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, the, not the Chilling Adventures, but the one with Melissa Joan Hart. He was in the movie Come Away Home. He's also done voice work. He did voice work for American Dad. He Hmm. was, uh, we watched this for a while. He was on the TV show I'm Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, as well as Arrested Development and also The Ranch, very current shows. And then, yeah, just like a ton of TV appearances. All these people have. Like, they've just done so much. Okay, moving on to we have our last two individuals that we're covering, the first of which is Leslie Ann Warren, or as you like to call her, (laughs) Susan Sarandon. (laughs) I mean... When I look at her IMDb profile, she looks nothing like Susan Sarandon. But in that movie, for that like time period, I think she did look a mm-hmm. little bit like her. I think it's a fair point to make. We just don't want to confuse anybody with them thinking Susan Sarandon's actually in the movie. I mean, I kind of want that. <laughs> I know you do. I know. It's actually been brought up. Yeah. But she does a great job in this. She, she does. does. an awesome job. Yeah. So she's Miss Scarlet. And again, like... Everybody else, a lot of TV appearances. She, over the course of her career, has also gone back and forth between film and television. Some of her early work includes The Happiest Millionaire. This one I like. The one and only genuine original family band. (laughs) Nice. Fun one. Uh, The TV show, Mission Impossible. Okay. I wonder if there are people out there who don't realize that that once was a TV show. It, I mean, like, there's, like, 20 movies out, so at this point, maybe. It's kind of, like, yeah, took a, taken over is, like, the... I think that's their goal, is to have as many movies as there were episodes. <laughs> she was in Harry and Walter Go to New York, Victor Victoria, A Night in Heaven, Twin Falls, Idaho, The Limey. She... I brought this up just because we've had other actors mentioned in Teaching Mrs. Tingle. She was, too, but she's uncredited. Hmm. Uh, she was in the film Secretary. She also, Andy brought this up, that there are just so many actors from this movie who were in Will and Grace. She is among them. She was on Will and Grace for a while, as well as Desperate Housewives. And in, oh man, did I misspell that? Is it in Plain Sight? I have in Plain Sight. It's, it's probably in Plain Sight. I but believe it is. Yes. It is, in fact, in Plain Sight. 
Thank you. But that would probably be a very different show if it was in pain sight. I mean, I know that some people are like, oh, it's a play on words, but it really doesn't make sense if it's in <laughs> pain sight. So Yeah, no, it, it wouldn't it would not be successful play on words. All right. The last of our actors, Colleen Camp. She plays Yvette. She's amazing. And although, you know, possibly she doesn't have as much name recognition as the other actors we've mentioned so far. She's had a great career. She's still very busy. And she's been in some really wonderful projects. Uh, I would say most everything I have for her is film. So she's pretty solidly in the film world. She was in Funny Lady. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting title. Love and the Midnight Auto Supply. Okay. So she's in Apocalypse Now. The best way to explain her role is when they do that show with all the, like, Playboy playmates. Okay. She's one of them. Got it. So she was in Valley Girl. Smoke. Oh. Yeah. That's yeah. Fun. We'll do that one for sure at some point. Smokey and the Bandit Part 3. She was in a couple of Police Academies. She was in Police Academy 2, their first assignment, as well as number four, Citizens on Patrol. She was in My Blue Heaven, Wayne's World, Last Action Hero. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Now, not to, I am saying this correctly. She's in Plump Fiction. <laughs> so, obviously, it's a spoof. Mm. Speed 2, Cruise Control, Election, Running with Scissors, Four Christmases, American Hustle, and then most recently, 52577. That's the name of it. Okay. Like the date. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Derek. Yes. Film synopsis. Oh, what do we got? Six guests are anonymously invited to a strange mansion for dinner, but after their host is killed, they must cooperate with the staff to identify the murderer as the bodies pile up. Yeah, that, that works. I mean, they could have also just said, like, this is a movie about a board game about solving a murder. And I would have been totally fine with that too. <laughs> I think they did a really good job. I, yeah, they uh, did. They, it, it is better than it needed to be. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's really, yeah. There, mean, there's, um, it's pretty solid. I'll just say that we didn't, we didn't go through uh, a lot of it, but there is a ton of trivia and oh, like, I'm sure. like fun facts on this. Oh that you yeah. You can find like, the women in the movie wear the opposite colors of their namesakes. So Miss mm. Scarlet's wearing green, Mrs. White's wearing black, uh, so on and so forth. All of the characters, when they arrive, they arrive in vehicles that have the color that their character would on the card. Interesting. So I love yeah. those little things. The, yeah. Even the like the secret passageways connected to the same rooms that they would have on the board game. Very so cool. There, there are so many like little like odds and ends where they tried to like maintain some some accuracy to the game. I love that. Yeah. Like I love that they honored it in that way. So that's really really cool. All right. Well, on that note, let's get into it with our special guest Andy. Let's do it. All right. I I'm so so excited to have this person on the show. I just really love her. She also came into my life through the UCLA program that I did, and I feel so lucky that that happened. You will not find a person who has more enthusiasm for this craft of TV writing, of which she is part. 
You really won't. And you're not going to find a person who's more supportive of her fellow writers. She was just such a bright, shining light in our workshop classes. And that's on top of her being just a great writer. She is a phenomenal writer. She also happens to be a stand-up comedian. She's an improviser. She's worked in television. She's worked for Netflix, Warner Brothers, A&E. And we have her here today. Andy Peak, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, thank that is so <laughs> kind and lovely. It's so true. <laughs> you're so <laughs> you're so supportive. That's so nice. Oh, thank you, Derek Vianna, so much. It's I'm honored, like fully honored to be here. I think your podcast is so much fun. Oh, oh. thank you so much. It's this I know because you've you've been busy with your different projects and different gigs that you've had going on. I've wanted you on the show for a while because I just Again, I think you're phenomenal, and we have had great conversations in class and outside of class, and I'm really excited in particular to get to talk about this movie. It's such a fun movie. Um, We'll get into all the amazing people that are part of it. This movie is wild. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And let's (laughs) dive in. So as I do, really my only question that I ever have planned for anybody is just if you have any first memories of seeing the movie Clue and how your first like response to it was. This is such a great question for this movie. It's there's sort of two levels, I guess, to why this is my go-to comfort movie. Like this is Mm. that movie that I've watched over a hundred times when I can't sleep at night. This is the movie. And one, it's tied to like my core movies as an extremely shy, believe it or not, latchkey kid of like (laughs) recent divorce. I think I was like grade five or six when it came out and it gave me something to talk about in the schoolyard. (laughs) And I also bonded with like a best friend about it. And it's the first thing we ever really talked about before we moved on to kids in the hall and other things. So uh, (laughs) it was just like the first pop culture thing I think I really gravitated to. And I think also my personality, like I'm also very strategic and futuristic thinking. Like (laughs) I I know that because I've done like, I was in sales for a decade before getting into like film and television. And I've learned that I'm strategic and futuristic. So I love that what if of comedy premises. Mm -hmm. And I love that what if of concepts like thrillers or sci-fi. So it really appeals to like rewatching and catching things you couldn't catch before. Like, I think that's why I love Severance right now on Apple TV. Like, it's like oh, something you can rewatch and okay. rewatch and try to figure out something else. Like, my friend that I mentioned before, he um, he mentioned to me when we were talking about this before coming on the show that he's like, isn't it interesting how a vet drops her French accent at the very end when she's about to be murdered? And I hadn't even noticed that until now, until watching it now. And I had to reread and it's actually in the script. Like I read the script. So even now I'm oh. discovering things that I had not noticed before. So I just it's love cool. movies that are like that. It's the good thing about this movie is that if you happen to miss anything, Tim Curry will just give you <laughs> a blow by blow of everything really fast though. Super quick. Your back. Yeah. He should have won an Oscar for that. That was that's unbelievable talent. The no, I yeah. actually very much agree with you. I I mean, look, there's always so many performances where you're like, wow, that's so impressive. Part of what I find so impressive about this particular performance, and we'll get to every like I'm mm. I'm so blown away by the like concentrated talent 
in this mm. movie as far as all the actors. But with Curry in particular, the energy. He, uh, look, he perfected the Tom Cruise run before Tom Cruise did. Yeah, like, all the I mean, running. I get it. Things are cut. <laughs> things are done in multiple takes. But still, like, that energy from scene to scene and shot to shot, I just, it, you know, we're the whole movie through, but in particular, yes, the ending where he's going through the different scenarios and what happened is just so impressive to me. But in like everything that you said, I, I find so interesting. I love what you mentioned at the very top when you talked about like comfort film and Mm -hmm. comfort movies. That's something that, I mean, it doesn't have to be an eighties film, but I feel like that is a very common refrain with people when talking about movies from this era, that there yeah. is a particular film that they just can go to at any point. Like when you said, I've seen this movie like over a hundred times, there's just something, and I can see why this would be one of those movies for you. Um, it, I, I just, I don't know. It, my comment is, I guess, neither here nor there, except to say that like, I love that that is a commonality with so many of the movies that we cover that people just, especially the last couple of years, we were just talking off the record about how it's been really hard for everybody, you know, with the pandemic. (laughs) So to have something like this, I just think is awesome. And I mean, do you know why it, it became that kind of a movie for you? Do you feel like, like when you think about other kinds of comfort movies that you might have, do they lean into comedy? Like what is it about this particular film that does that for you? Yeah. Um, on a Two things again, like one on a personal note, going through a tough time, parents going yeah. through divorce. I was a shy okay. kid. And this kid that I walked home from school and just by default, we lived on the same street. We just really connected. He brought me out of my shell. And part of it was getting me to talk about things. And Mm -hmm. this was one of those things that we both remember, like, loving. And we didn't see it in the theaters. We weren't old enough to take ourselves. We were like many Mm -hmm. people where it didn't do well in the theaters. Um, That's another discussion. But uh, we discovered it at home on our, like, movie channel, like the Canadian Movie Network, I think it was called. And there was just three channels that played movies all the time. And we would catch, like, one ending after another. And and talk to each other about each one. So I think part of it is connecting that with like, it was my safe place and I could, mm. an escapism when I needed it most. I think it was mm-hmm. that like diving into a different world. But then also the movie itself, I find that like thinking about it and also the cadence of it is very soothing. Mm. Like there's even like an up and down to the plot. Like it's it's frenetic with Peacock and like with Peacock freaking out at one point and they slap her and then like it calms mm-hmm. down again. Like it, it just, it constantly builds up and down like that throughout the whole, um, the whole film. And even the cadence of the comedy, like that, mm-hmm. not only the chemistry, like you mentioned before, like it's just packed with these powerhouse comedic talents it's the cadence and the chemistry of how they go back and forth and the timing of it all. Like it's just, it's just a beautiful, it's just so beautifully done. And the characters, you know who they are. And you, even though you know what the line is, there's something comforting in that. And it's very like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's part of my core. Like it really is that core memory for mm-hmm. me. Did yeah. you ever uh, play the board game? Oh yes. Yeah, that's uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> As a strategic person, like my family is very competitive <laughs> and we're all strategic. Like, we yes playing that board game and then having it come to life was probably an extra element absolutely yeah and I often won oh that's (laughs) (laughs) that's important (laughs) do you remember so 
you were already playing the board game before you ever saw the movie. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. I must okay. Have, yeah. All right. Um, one thing that you said that I thought was really interesting when you were talking about how, you know, you had these certain channels and these movie channels, I think that's something that like not to, you know, date myself, but that younger people cannot appreciate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just don't have access to everything all the time. <laughs> like, had to wait. <laughs> you had to wait. And I mean, whether it was like television and you like made it, it was like a special occasion <laughs> for your show and you knew you had to sit down and watch it at the time that it aired or yeah. that like special discovery that like a movie that you love just happens to be on tv (laughs) like on one hand on one hand it made when when it actually did line up and something you wanted to watch Mm -hmm. was going to be on that was like a super cool moment but between having to like you get like this physical paper tv guide to try to see what's going to be on Mm -hmm. to look ahead and see maybe there's a glossary and you can look up the movies maybe not i can't remember (laughs) but but it, it it kind of sucked. Like it is much better now, although it's slightly oh. overwhelming with having yes, the access to there's everything. There's a lot. There's yeah. there's a lot competing for your attention. Yeah. But one thing that you brought up, Andy, that it it kind of gave me a little bit of insight into who you are because when you're talking about cadence and kind of the mm-hmm. flow of the comedy and the film, that I feel very much like connects with like your stand up and your improv because correct me if I'm wrong I'm I'm definitely not like an expert in either of those like realms but Neither am is I. there a connection <laughs> there and like the like like the way that you you know tell a joke or the way that you just play off your fellow improvers like there's a there's also a cadence and like a rhythm is, is that correct like what I am I right in kind of making that connection there Oh, abs- absolutely. Yes. Timing, like you tell a joke and one word is off or sometimes mm-hmm. it just doesn't land. And it also is mm-hmm. like feeding from the audience. You've got to be able to read the audience mm-hmm. as like give and take with live theater, performing live. And the same thing with improv, like at the Groundlings, you really, it's all about connecting with your partner. Like the first, one of the first things they teach you is you're making eye contact with your partner. Like it's all about give and take and sometimes my favorite improv scenes I may have like you get a suggestion you have a kind of a plan or some ideas in your head but then your partner gives something that you're like well everything I had was great but I'm throwing it out the door like this is Mm -hmm. this is going to be something different that we explore together so there's that give and take and that's something I love about Clue like they even made room in one of the endings which gave an iconic I think one of the most iconic dialogue pieces of the film was they gave space for Mrs. White to finally admit that she had spoiler <laughs> she had uh yeah, she had, yeah. She hey, had everybody killed. out there <laughs> yeah. lots of spoilers so if you've not seen blue really recommend that you go watch the movie first four decades later yeah um <laughs> she finally admits that like she's the one who's off to vet and it's the thing where she's like flames at the side of my yes. face breathing I and she's so that moment. <laughs> but they created oh. that space for her. Yes, every that's such an iconic dialogue spot. That yeah. was like the most Madeline Kahn moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. For sure in this movie, you know, yeah. When that we were cracking up when, yeah. when that happened. I, I I mean, and that just plays into, you know, what we've already kind of briefly referenced is just the like the wealth of talent and i mean there's not a single person 
in this movie who I don't love and who doesn't have like serious comedic chops. And I'm mm. curious, like, I know that you you saw this uh, as a child. Do you have any recollection of like how familiar you were or weren't with the actual actors in it? Oh, probably not. Like, I did okay, not discover yeah. Tim Curry in like um, Rocky Horror Picture Show until I was in high school. So, okay, and that was way mm. that was ten years before uh, Clue. Sure. Maybe Doc from Back to the Future. Sure, maybe would okay. have been the only person I would have recognized. Yeah. Like, okay. How does he look so young? I know it is really <laughs> funny when you think about how many roles Christopher Lloyd has had where they age him up. Yeah. And he actually looks his age in this movie, which is quite young at the time. So um, this came out the same year as Back to the Future. The only thing so I can think funny. of where he's not aged up ridiculously is, I guess, this and Taxi. He Okay, mm. he's not. Are you familiar with the TV show Taxi, Andy? Yes, yes. He thanks to, would you, yeah, thanks to Jim Carrey playing Man in the Moon, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. That can, that's yeah. No, no, that's a good connection. Um, I mean, he's not, I wouldn't say aged up, but he is made to look really just he's disheveled for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. He's looking rough in like <laughs> every scene. So <laughs> um well, in terms of even if you weren't necessary because I get it, like as a child watching a movie, you're not gonna have as much knowledge of the different actors. But if you don't mind me making the connection here, like you are a woman who works in the comedy space and you do stand up and you do improv. So I, I, I don't think it's too soon to just like jump into these different actors. And specifically, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up like the female actors in this film. Susan Sarandon. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. I I don't know if you do, do you ever think that Leslie Ann Warren looks like Susan Sarandon? Have you ever? I do now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just to be clear, everybody, we know that Susan Sarandon is not in this movie. It's just that... um, I thought that was her for probably decades. Oh, you... Okay, I thought you were just joking last night. No, because (laughs) I, I just assumed it was her. Never thought about it. Decades later, I saw it again, and I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, that's... They have the same eyes. They have a really similar look in the eyes. But between her and um, Eileen Brennan and Madeline Kahn, and certainly I don't want to um, overlook Colleen Camp, what ha- if if at all, and if not, that's okay too. But, you know, given that you saw this at such a young age and you talk about like core memories and this being a really pivotal film for you, do you think that the presence of these very funny, like legitimately funny women had any impact on where eventually you went in your own career? Oh my gosh, I'm having a moment. Yeah. <laughs> like in, a very, in a very visceral way. Yeah. Like that's um, like I, I've taken improv classes at like UCB, Second City and Groundlings. And the Groundlings is the one that really speaks to me because it's so character based. And it's mm. really about like a deep dive into who this person is like what's important to them, what their beliefs are. And like, I know that sounds serious, but that really is like where the comedy comes from, like Mm -hmm. what their point of view is, what their characteristics is. Cause when funny stuff sometimes lands, when it's not like dialogue, farcical back and forth, kind of pun fun, uh, Mm -hmm. when it comes from these characters, 
like when Miss White is being very vulnerable in her flaming, heaving breast moment. <laughs> like it's from a very deep, dark place that she's like reliving when she saw her husband and mm-hmm. um, Yvette at Flagrante Delecto, you know, yeah. she's, uh, <laughs> she's the parlance of the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I love like, like when I was thinking about this movie now, like it's, it's just, it's so good. And they also play like, different the eight characters of comedy but they're also wearing a mask like even though they've all admitted Mm -hmm. that they are being blackmailed and there's part of their secret is out they're all I think all of them are still also holding a different secret like there's still Mm -hmm. stuff that's not and even see how they're all the relationships progress like the stakes of when they all pull their matchsticks and mm-hmm. how they pair mm-hmm. them. Like that conflict is beautiful. Like they paired the worst people together and that it was moment. Out. <laughs> it was stretched out so well. Too. Like, <laughs> Oh my God. That scene is like, how, how are they still matching these up? <laughs> yeah. It was very and deliberate I, I, breaking of the matches and yeah. Yeah, and then like how they each discover who's with who, like when Colonel Mustard discovers, um, like they're just all in character every single moment. Like you breathe it. Um, Miss Scarlet scoffs when she noticed she's with Mr. Colonel Mustard because mm-hmm. she's seen him as well as a client in a way. And then you see poor <laughs> Professor Plum with his tiny little stick even go up to Yvette and measure yep. against her long match. And uh-huh, like, uh-huh. He still measures. He's like his manizing effect, still like in effect. And then he can't help himself but to when he gets paired with Miss Peacock to be like, it's you and me, honey bunch. And all Mrs. Peacock can do is like groan scoff. Like I don't even, that's the best groan scoff I've ever, like, oh God. Like it's just how much they're in character is just so, what's so beautiful to me about this movie. And I think what I find comforting about knowing these people, like it's, it's mm-hmm. not just surface. They're all so in depth. They're like third, fourth dimension characters to me, if that's a word. <laughs> Boy, you brought up so much good stuff. I mean, I think one point that you made that is really interesting is this idea that we are introduced to these characters and pretty early on find out what we think are their secrets. And I think you're absolutely right that that's just the secret in front of another secret. Like secrets have secrets. Yeah. I mean, even (laughs) – and I, I think that, you know, for instance, like what came to mind when you were speaking on that was, you know, much later on when uh, Colonel Mustard, you know, reveals that he, you know, was he profited off the war. And you mm-hmm. can see you can sense this like true, I think, shame that he has over it. And I think you're absolutely right. Like there's there's dimension to all these characters and the way that we come to learn more about them and those layers are peeled off. That's for a comedy, that's something that I think is ra- on the more rare side, especially comedy based off of a board game. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, um, that's what I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> gimmick, yeah. I, yeah. Like, obviously, the, the performance, performances were all fantastic, but to put something together with these characters who, like you mentioned, feel like fully developed, realized mm-hmm. characters, and the actors are all like 100% in these characters but these characters are just based off a board game. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how they were able to successfully Give like create story. these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Except for Mr. Body. Mr. Body, you know, I didn't. Well, that's a good point. That's a really good point. So Andy, 
you know, we, it, I mean, we can certainly, we have space to gush more about all these different great actors. I'm probably a- asking somewhat of a leading question to kind of point <laughs> him out. Oh. But what is your, where do you kind of fall on Mr. Body, the the performance of the character, the actor who played him? Like, did it seem to gel with everybody else? Or maybe it wasn't supposed to. Oh, that's, um... That's a good question. I don't know if I've thought of that before. Like, really, I think with this movie, I have such a suspension of disbelief that, yeah. like, I'm really, I'm willing to overlook that, like, if Mr. Body is, like, sort of the outlier, I think I just let him be because he isn't part mm-hmm. of the group. He isn't part of the team. Like, mm-hmm. he is kind of the enemy in my eyes. Even in one ending, he was really the butler. But, uh yeah, yes, I, right. <laughs> there is like he has zero manners to be a butler. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why like the suspension of disbelief. You really break it down, sure. like and you. It's yeah. Like I, and I don't want. I don't want to do that with this movie. Like I want to let it. My suspension of disbelief and just to live in what it is. Um, thrive. But yeah, Mister Body probably is the the least likable. That's for sure. He or relatable is, even. I mean, he feels to me similar to like when they when they open up their packages that actually were from him and there's like look there's a lot of blunt force trauma instruments there's a wrench (laughs) a lead pipe um but mr body feels like just a human version of those like he is kind of like a piece that needs to be put in play for the game to continue that's a really interesting Mm -hmm. way of putting it yeah yeah and th- at the same time, I do like how they introduced that part of the board game. It's like the characters, mm-hmm. the weapons, the rooms, and mm-hmm. how they introduced the weapons, I thought worked for this. Like there's this weird yeah. gift and they're all like, now what do I do with this? Like it's kind of, I kind of like that question that it answers a question, but asks the question, um, yeah, what is going to happen with these weapons and who's going to use them? Like I liked how that they paid homage to the board game that way. I think that for me, it works. Yeah. Yeah, especially at the end too, when he's he's like, it was this person in this room with this weapon. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Andy. I think it absolutely works. And given that that is such a central part of the board game, it obviously had to be part of the film to, I think, like you said, appropriately give homage to to it. And I think that they did it in a very like clever way. It didn't seem mm-hmm. too obtrusive, like, oh, well, they got to do this where they're introducing all the m- possible murder weapons. Like, I thought it was done in a really nice way that kept the story flowing. It, it wasn't too disruptive. So, yeah, that's a good point. I never even really thought about that. I guess that's how successful they were. I never thought about it. Um, yeah. Well, the alter- th- alternative is like they just find it around the house. Like, I like that it was all put together yeah. and that it made yeah. it helped it helped with the plot of like whoever the murder was was going to be able to find it all at the same same spot. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to a little bit circle back to just because we've, you know, you've been talking about kind of the interactions between all these different characters and um, the way that they get to reveal different facets of their characters. As somebody who, you know, especially with improv where it is so much about, you know, the the chemistry and the way that you work off of your fellow improvers. Is there something to be said about, you know, all these really immensely talented people, like, how do I phrase this without like being uh, rude to people who maybe don't (laughs) 
have have kind of the Rude. certain penchant for for comedy. When you're working with somebody who is really talented and a really great comedian, does it make it easier for you to like like can you you know rise above and still do what you feel you want to do in a certain scene or performance? Because I'm just thinking that like with all these different actors, like it had to have just that made it easy, but when you're surrounded by all these like crazy talented people, like that elevates your own performance, right? Yeah, I can. I think it probably depends on each actor's approach, but yeah, like my take from this is that you would have for the timing to work on so many of those jokes, like they would, you'd have to, it's perfection to me. Um, mm-hmm. I think of, um, like as a comedian, you, you do, I think what works best on stage is when you're connecting and reacting. Like I'm not mm-hmm. an actor, like I'm, I'm more of a writer, I think, than a performer. Mm-hmm. And I do comedic performance to be a better comedy writer. But I think it's like acting's reacting. Like you really do mm-hmm. have to feed off of each other and you've got to make sense together. And you've also got to be true to your point of view. And, but that's all you bounce against each other. And I think I mentioned a little bit earlier about how, they when they first all go they match their sticks they kind of hate each other and then mm-hmm. how they deal with their fear with this stranger and their distrust for each other is hilarious like how they're like mm-hmm. for example how Yvette and um Mr. Green I think is going up the attic stairs and like yes, you go first yes, and then they finally decide yes. to go together and then her boobs are almost in her face like as they're choosing, like, they're like said that yeah. to Derek and like what a weird body configuration was, like yeah. the way that she's walking oh, up the, yeah. The, I mean, yeah, the the effects, the practical effects. I think they put all of the budget into her chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it paid off because yeah. <laughs> the physical comedy of that moment, and there's a lot of physical comedy where you have to be able to trust your partner, and mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of good physical comedy in this too. And, oh yeah, yeah, and then also then when the cop comes, and then then they all of a sudden instead of like being scared and mistrustful they all team up together for this speaking of physical comedy where they have to pretend to be making out with the dead bodies so when the cop comes like thinks oh they're just having a good time like that that is very physical comedy genius and the fact that they all team up is another like beat in the story where it's changed for them the 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 relationship arc is happening i don't think i fully appreciated that scene when i saw it as a kid but watching it last night and watching that person basically make out with a with horrific. a corpse. horrific <laughs> in, in the best way but i mean the fact that they can get a reaction out of like i i guess i could only speak for myself but i was sitting right next to you and you had the same reaction where we're like oh no. you know like <laughs> i had forgotten about that too and i think that brings up for me you know you're talking about physical comedy and i think it's so special when you come across a film where like sometimes, you know, when we're talking about like the huge umbrella of comedy film, you have those that lean more into just physical comedy. You have those like, like, okay. So I'm thinking like three stooges as like an ex- prime mm. example. There was of, some of that in this. Of physical comedy. So then you have films like, you know, the screwball comedies, even though there is physical com- uh, physical comedy and screwball, but like I'm thinking like Preston Sturgis, where the comedy really came from like the dialogue and the situations. So I just think it's really special when you have a film that brings all of those elements together. And not only do you have great physical comedy and amazing dialogue but then when you can even nuance it further like that scene where you're like 
it's like grossed out humor, actually. Yeah, um, I was grossed out. Typically, I'm not a fan of. I'm not. I don't usually go for that like low hanging fruit, but it works so well. It was so this, over the top. Yeah, it yeah. was so ridiculous. Like they, you know, it was like worse than anything I saw in Weekend at Bernie's. I mean, my favorite was you know when they <laughs> so was it Colonel Mustard who was like you know air quotes making out with the cook and then mrs peacock is behind them yeah to move her arm i mean i was just like oh my goodness this is like and opening horrific. up her eyes with his like yes. hand. yeah oh so it's just so good but then yeah. it's it's funny because like in terms of the the really excellent dialogue you do have these moments like the 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 space they gave to Madeline Kahn for that moment where she's talking about the flames out of her head and everything. <laughs> like that's very deliberate and they're they are very much giving her that moment. But then you have like I think for me the funny I don't know why it like struck my funny bone so hard, but when Tim Curry is saying, well, I, you revealed yourself to Mrs. Peacock when she earlier, you know, says, oh, this is one of my favorite recipes. And he's like, you know, you don't, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, you know, you don't usually have monkey brains. And then you just really quickly have Mr. Green walk across the screen <laughs> going, that's what we ate. And it's just yeah, like, oh, oh, oh. yeah, it's just even throwaway lines. Like there's nothing yeah. wasted in this film. And I think that's what I appreciate so much about it. So sorry to go on such a tangent, but I just have such reverence for films who can pull that can pull that off. Um, Right. Like it's so many different styles of comedy. mm -hmm. And like when it's not character comedy, it's this weird Mm -hmm. banter. Like when Colonel Mustard's attacking Miss White in the kitchen at the beginning, like you lure men to their deaths, like a spider with flies. Flies are where men are most vulnerable. Right. And he's like angry at her, but agreeing. And then (laughs) what are you looking at? Nobody. What do you mean? Mr. Body Bodies, it's gone. Like, like all this like weird punny banter as well is just, uh, yeah. There's There's a lot of like who's on first. Yes. Yes, yeah, like, like the, the whole conversation yeah. with um, was it Colonel Mustard and and uh, Wadsworth over whether or not there is anybody else? Is is there anyone else here? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying there's someone else here? Yes. There's not. Wait. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's black and white. Yes really. or no? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's actually another really good example of just the different types of comedy that they wove into this single single film. I think that that's just like so impressive. I mean, I'm curious in terms of types of comedy, you know, do you have a certain uh, sensibility that like where where do you tend to go, Andy? Like, do you go towards like kind of broad physical comedy like the uh, Three Stooges? Do you like like this is what I would call like dark comedy, black comedy because of the subject matter of like multiple murders. There I mean, are several murders. Yeah. I mean, and that, that again was hilarious where like now we get to like the second half of the film and they come across more bodies and they're all just kind of like, like they don't even say anything. They're just like, Oh, okay. Another body. And they walk away. Like where, where does your sensibility lie with the kind of comedy that you gravitate towards? Uh, I think dark comedy because mm-hmm. like Severance Severance to me is a dark comedy. Like that's I think the next spec I'm going to write for fun. Okay. Uh, 
although I think people would argue it's a thriller. I'm sure you'll get calls being like, it's not a dark comedy. <laughs> but if you look at any <laughs> of Dylan's lines from the show, they're all hilarious. Dylan's the best. Uh, but also, like, I think I throw, I think looking at this movie, I do put elements of this movie into what I write. Like, I like character comedy. Like, I always write some ensemble, some crazy ensemble, and never just one character. And I like how people bounce off of each other. Mm-hmm. And I like, um, I do like, I think, the darker version of comedy, like processing mm-hmm. things that are hard to process in real life. And yes, this kind of like, with the making out of with the dead bodies, that farcical side, like that, it's almost cartoonish, like in Three's Company, like um, yeah, yeah, that's a good comparison. Uh, yeah, like it is that time, like around mm-hmm. that's around when like that was yeah a mm-hmm. popular mainstream style of comedy. But yeah, this is I think this film really has had an effect on the way I write as well. Like I definitely see elements of this film and like what I try to elevate my writing to. But this is like packed, like. I can I can only aspire to write like you're right like every every thing that's on the page is so efficient with its comedy and moving the plot forward and even how it's written like what Wadsworth says at the end like with all those different endings and he's doing it record speed like that's written in there like there's actually a line in the script saying this is not dialogue heavy this he is going to read this at record tour de force speed like this mm-hmm. like even I think he even mentions like he might be up for an award of this like it's something similar to that. I'm paraphrasing badly but it's uh how it's written is just so brilliant and yeah and how it's directed I think is so brilliant too yeah I mean we haven't even gotten to the director yet I mean yeah. I so several things I want to say real quickly first I've been privileged enough to get to read some of your writing. And I would absolutely agree with that. I can very much see like the influence of this type of comedy in your work. Um, And so that, I mean, we, we all have influences from somewhere. And I, I think that that's actually really neat to see that connective tissue between a film that means so much to you and seeing how that has evolved into your own work. So that is really cool to see just as like somebody who knows your work. I agree with you. Like I, yeah, no, like seriously, like I love, I've gotten to read maybe what, three, three different, at least um, different pieces from you. And yeah, I think it's, they've all been ensembles, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it's, it's just actually really cool to see that connection. Yeah. Um, Now, I'm glad you brought up Tim Curry. I know you're speaking specifically about kind of the, the end where he's giving the different reveals. I, I'm curious, you know, everybody else in this film, so Madeline Kahn, Eileen Brennan, um, Michael McKeon, especially. Susan Sarandon. Oh, stop doing that. You're going to confuse <laughs> okay. oh, people. I, <laughs> well, you may have added this out, but I think Carrie Fisher was originally up for Miss Scarlet. And then the last really? minute she couldn't. Yeah, the last minute she couldn't, I think. And then okay. Miss Scarlet, um, Leslie Ann Warren was like a last minute addition. Um, she was yeah. great in that role. Yeah. She really was. Yeah, yeah she yeah. did great. Yeah, genius. I, I have to reference check that. <laughs> no, no, that's yeah. We'll we'll check that out. But that that's really interesting. Um, but <laughs> I think she were. I mean, she worked perfectly for the film. So I don't feel like. I mean, as much as I adore Carrie Fisher, I don't think that that was a loss. I think. I, I can see her doing it. But, yeah, I can yeah. see her doing it. Yeah. But um or but Susan Sarandon, Tim, whatever. <laughs> yeah, or Susan Sarandon. <laughs> also as, genius. <laughs> as far as like Tim Curry is concerned, he's I think an interesting figure in the film because I I associate all the other actors with comedy work. 
And that's not I, – I, I mean, I've gone out, gone on my soapbox many times in this podcast about how much I value comedy and that I don't think it gets the, the like, acknowledgement that it should for how hard it is mm-hmm. and how much it means to people in their lives. But Curry's an interesting figure because he's – He's a little bit more mercurial than everybody else. I mean, if you don't know him from this movie, I would say probably the two things you might know him from either are like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Where, again, a lot of comedy. Uh, he has musical chops to boot. Um, or It, the the TV miniseries. Yeah. I remember oh. him from uh, Mikhail's Navy. Oh, okay. The, well, the movie. That not- seems that's, that is an outlier. I think I don't think a lot of people are going to bring up Mikhail's Navy. But honestly, um, what I what I remember him most from is probably the one movie where you don't even know or you can't recognize it's him, and that's when he played like the the um, antagonist, the baddie in Legend. Yes, he. I mean, oh. he plays darkness. Yeah. He's essentially like he's the devil, but the incarn- I think he's called evil darkness. incarnate. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's actually another really good example, like. It's okay, absolutely, if he's not a figure that you've, like, followed closely over his career. But, like, have you been a Curry fan? Was this what made you a Curry fan? Are you maybe not a Curry fan? Like, out of all these different actors, (laughs) he does kind of, for me, feel like a different type of energy. um, Because the rest are just, like, they're solidly in the comedy world. So what are your thoughts on Tim Curry and his performance here? Uh, well, I probably associate him both with Roseanne. He played. Um, he uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, but I, but mostly with Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like that was another like yeah core memory moment in high school going to those movies with like the audience participation. And so yeah, I I really associate him with like as a mega talent. Like mm-hmm. I wish he was in everything. Like I and I feel like that with a lot of these. Uh, the whole ensemble too. A lot of them end up in sitcoms. Like mm-hmm, Mrs. Peacock. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Peacock plays Zandra in Will and Grace, and mm-hmm. like Miss Scarlet is also in uh, Will and Grace as Will's dad's mistress, I think. And even Tim Curry was on a Will and Grace episode. So it's interesting to see how they've all popped up in sitcoms as time has gone on as well. But I wish they would all be in something together. And they are possibly making a Clue remake that Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman are involved with. Like that was on the table at one point. Yeah. That's interesting. And with with the same cast, which is like, that would be a good remake with the same cast. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, unfortunately, several of the figures are no longer with us. So I'm not sure. Um, Especially, I mean, I don't know how you replace Eileen Brennan and Madeline Kahn, but yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, there you're right and i won't um, go too far <laughs> susan sarandon can yes. maybe come in and um justin or um justin jason bateman and ryan reynolds i could very much see i mean like if they decided to like go forward with this i have pretty strong feelings on like these reboots and these remakes yeah. and whatever they they're just like you know, cherry picking from the eighties because there is so much great stuff to cherry pick from. I would give them the benefit of the doubt because I think that they would, I don't know. They seem to have a certain kind of like appreciation that I think they would honor the original energy of the film if they did. But yeah, I mean, 
I but how do you? It's like that's the perfect right. combination of chemistry and timing and yep. who these people yeah. were at the time. Like you're right. Yep. I kind of have probably similar feelings about remakes, but I, I it, but I just selfishly want to see them all together again. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It it is well. You might get a little bit like every once in a while they manage to do that, and like I'm. I, did you see Maverick yet? The sequel no, to Top Gun. No. No. Every once in a while, like I don't I know that this would probably be a reboot, not like a sequel, but every once in a while they're able to like capture lightning a bottle. They did that, I think, with Maverick. I think they're doing that with Cobra Kai. Yeah. Yeah, um, those are two great examples. I think they, I think they oh. d- yeah. They did it with Will and Grace, I think. The reboot of Will and Grace. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like every once in a while they're able to recapture that. It's just that unfortunately the vast majority <laughs> don't mm. do that. Okay. Um mm-hmm. and it just kind of sullies the original. But but I would I would be open depending on like who's attached. Um, I mean, I think that I want Jack Black as the butler. He would be fun. <laughs> he would be real fun. Or as Mr. Would... Body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, he'd be great in either role. Um, I mean, they're also now apparently in pre-production on a sequel to Spinal Tap. So we have Michael McKeon again. Um, so we'll see, you know, uh, thankfully all those individuals are still with us. So we have McKeon and Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer. And I think Rob Reiner is, is again, going to head it up. So, so that is interesting to me because I also love that movie. But one thing you said that I certainly did not want to overlook is uh, the director. And so a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Lynn, he also, so this is one of those situations where he was also very instrumental in the story and screenplay. I was shocked to learn. I did not know that John Landis had a story credit for this. Thought that was really interesting. But I will, I, yeah, I know there's, there's like, there's controversy (laughs) around Landis for sure. Mm, Um, yeah. As far as Lynn is concerned, like, were you at all or through this film, did you become any more familiar with his work and career? I I do not know really anything else that he's done. I mean, I've, I can go through his IMDb, but I'm not personally familiar with anything else. Hmm. Well, I know he did My Cousin Vinny, I think. Oh. And was yeah, he- that's true. Yeah. That's true. And, um... Was he the one who did Blues Brothers, or am I? I mix up the Jonathans. Like John, actually, I know John Landis. Yeah, that's actually John Landis. So, but um, there's like kind of similar energy there. I can kind of see why his input like came to be realized a certain way. I mean, Jonathan Lynn, as far as like, yeah, you're right. Probably my cousin Vinny. Um, I mean, he did kind of similar things like the Distinguished Gentleman. That was like the Eddie Murphy mm, okay. vehicle. Sergeant Bilko. Like, My cousin I, Vinny is great. And yeah, you do really like that. Wildly movie. underappreciated for its legal accuracy with courtroom uh, procedure. I will say that much. You have mentioned <laughs> that, yes. As far as his like writing work, though, like he, you know, worked primarily, I think, in television. Um, he had all these different series that he worked on, and they all. It's kind of funny because he has credits for shows called Doctor at Large. Doctor in charge, doctor, doctor at, in charge, <laughs> doctor at sea, <laughs> doctor on the go. So I don't. There's got to be a connection I between hope those all are comedies. Those. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I know nothing about any of that work. So in a weird way, 
because he does not have a writing credit. Like that's that's why I kind of put my cousin Vinny in a little bit of a different category because he was more director for hire. He actually had like quite a bit of uh, input on the writing of this material, which that's what I find really impressive because of how we've talked about, you know, how successful the comedy was. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if I really but have I think, a question I think he's British. Here, I yeah. Think, I think he's I think British. Right. And I think there's like a British sensibility to Clue. Like it, mm-hmm. like he did one I think called I'm now I'm looking at IMDb I cheated now but uh, he, like something called Yes Minister or Yes Prime Minister so I'm yes. assuming it's BBC so I think mm-hmm. that had elements of um, I feel like there's elements of that include and how it was shot like how they did that scene when they're going up the stairs but also when you're looking it mirrors the scene where they're going down into the cellar and how mm-hmm. they showed another um, like went same kind of timing when it's Mrs White and wadsworth and they're scared and they're both going into those two separate doors and how that's framed mm-hmm. and how that's mm-hmm. timed like, like his director choices are very interesting and lead itself to the comedy like you could mm-hmm. shoot this different and it not be funny at all like all of these things had to come together for it to be what i think is like a masterpiece although the box office would disagree and critics would disagree i think um the directing of it and having that timing like knowing when to pace fast knowing when to pace slow and all of these are mm-hmm. shot on different days like to keep that energy up yep. and to direct that like that is that's a feat i'm just i'm so in awe of of that all of the things that had to go into directing this well you just brought up a really interesting point which is the lack of initial success uh box office wise and to totally put you on the spot, <laughs> why do you think it it didn't hit with aud- what do you think was not clicking for audiences at that time? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this. I think it was ahead of its time in some ways, mm. and I think the idea was that it was um the society wasn't used to something this conceptual maybe because the idea was uh and and John Landis I think this is how I imagine it went John Landis had just come off of like thriller like he wrote and directed thriller by Michael Jackson and he had some other early success so now he had some clout and some leverage to pitch this around Hollywood and get it made and one of his pitches was that people are going to watch it be so in awe of it only see one ending and then go back to the theater and watch the whole thing again with a different ending. Like that was kind of like what they'd hoped would happen. But I think what happened was people saw there's different endings and then couldn't choose what ending. Like they kind of got paralyzed by even that like choice, even though we're, Mm -hmm. we're like bombarded by tsunami of choices day to day in society now. So I'm wondering if that, I don't know, that's sort of my theory about how this all went down, but like that's from an outsider just looking at the clues Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I had to get one well in. Well done. That I'm pretty clueless so... what really happened, but <laughs> oh wow, you are firing on all Ouch. cylinders. Oh, sorry, sorry. Dude. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm actually impressed. Um, I think I think you're right. I think that 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 it is interesting to try to like you know let's go back 37 years to when this movie came out and. You, I think, have a really excellent point that now, I mean, now there's even types of content where that is like very much the intention where you get to like pick your own ending and you get to like have a more kind of interactive. We're not going to say choose your own adventure because those folks are super litigious. Are they? Did I, I don't say know. litigious? They're litigious. litigious. It might be. They might have like gone <laughs> beyond another level of. I don't yeah. know that, but what what do you know about the choose your own adventure? 
Derek. Well, they tried to yeah. adopt that concept for, like you mentioned, uh, different TV series. Yeah. It was more of like an interactive like thing. Snatch think- or Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. and uh, you can't use that exact name oh, to describe gotcha. what it is you're doing. You can't mm. say, yeah, you, so you got to come up with like creative ways to work around that phrase. Got it. Yeah. And and so now I think that audiences, I think that you're right, Andy. Um, not only do we just in general have so much content to choose from, but now they do have these this specific type of content where you have more of a role and how the story turns out. But for 1985, yeah, that was not the case. And so I, I could see, yeah, I could see how people would be like, what? I'm not really understanding like what this is supposed to be. Um, I mean, now everybody knows. I mean, I think that there are still different versions available to people. So like the version that we saw, uh, the first ending was basically, you know, Miss Scarlet um, being the guilty party. The second version was essentially uh, Mrs. Peacock being the individual who was at, by and large, guilty. And then, like, the way that the cards in between the different endings had phrased it was like, it could be this or it could be this. Well, this but then really it's really happened. this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean... And then, and so, you know, again, spoilers out there, people, but like essentially the last <laughs> ending, everybody was guilty for a murder except for Mr. Green. Well, he did kill, um, Wadsworth. Wad, right? Yeah, Wadsworth. Um, yeah. but do you have a preference for a particular ending that you just, that's the ending you believe it to be? This is another amazing question. I think um, <laughs> when I looked online before coming on this wonderful podcast, that's so fun, uh, <laughs> that the the one that makes the most sense if you really break it down, I think is the Miss Scarlet teamed with Yvette. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The fan favorite is probably the last one, but there's also a fourth one that apparently they filmed that ended on the cutting room floor that was a darker ending. Ooh. And if you, know- you, you can... Yeah, you can find the script online. I guess part okay. of what happened was they forgot to tell. Uh, I guess that there's it's in a book as well about it, like a um, child's book version of it or something. I don't know. It's oh. related to Clue or a novelization of it. But also on the script, you can read the script, like word for word, what happens at the end. And it is pretty good. Like it's got some holes. Out of all the four okay. endings, it's got the most holes. But basically... um Wadsworth accuses Peacock and Professor Plum of working together. And the okay. reason why they could get away with stuff was that they were downstairs in the basement together. So they just teamed up and did stuff. Got it. Um, and then they're like, no, wait a second. Wadsworth, you did it. And because you have the gun. And then Wadsworth's like, yes, I did it. And this is where it gets dark. He's like, um, and everyone's like, I wanted to commit the perfect murder because my wife killed herself. And I wanted to be the perfect husband. And I couldn't. And I wanted to be the perfect butler. And I couldn't. And so he's decided he wants to create the perfect murder. And this is so crazy. And everyone's like, well, it's not the perfect murder. You've got witnesses. He's like, no, I don't. You all <gasps> drank poison in the champagne. <laughs> you were all about to die. Oh, unless you had the antidote. Yeah. And then, and then, so he, then he somehow tries to take off, but then there is the police rush in and there's this great like police comedic moment where all three police go into a different room and they all come out at the same time saying there's a body in there. Like, and there's this like whole body thing that happens. Wow. Like, puns. And then they try to arrest 
Wadsworth, this is, I, I wish this ending was like, if I was going to re-release this movie and like reshoot it and like, uh, I would show the fourth ending as like a way to like entice all of us who like were fans of the show originally mm-hmm. as part of like the the fanfare of it. But then Wadsworth goes again, like as he's being arrested, he's like, well, let me show you how I did it. So he goes back into that like cadence of like talking really <laughs> fast. And then he talks really fast and he goes, and then when the so-and-so was at the door and then he closes the front door and locks everybody in, including all the police. And then he jumps into a cop car and he's riding away. And meanwhile, everyone else is like breaking out through the uh, conservatory with like the, how um, Mr. Body tried to get out before. And Wadsworth's driving down the road and he hears something in the back seat. It's growls. And somehow the dogs oh are behind God. him about to eat oh, him. And that's how it ends. Wow. <laughs> that's actually fade out. <laughs> oh, I'm so bummed that they didn't film that that would be yeah. amazing oh i should have said spoiler for that <laughs> oh that's okay no that, and you know what what i love some i love when they do a full circle with mm. storytelling and that to me would have been so perfect since that's how yes. it opens with him and the dogs yeah and yep. that oh Oh, what a missed opportunity. And that just sounds like a really fun ending. I I agree with you, though. I think that the one that makes the most sense is uh, the Scarlet and Yvette team up. Um, Mm. That one just, yeah. I have to accept that the last one is the real one because they tell me that. They do tell you that. They do tell. But um, I mean, and I see why that would be the fan favorite because I think there's like... I don't really, I don't know if I could really get into the psychology of it, but like, I think there's a weird satisfaction knowing that everybody's guilty. Well, it's very Agatha Christie. Sure, and then sure. it's also very satisfying that it ends with someone properly solving it. Sure. Like right when he goes through like the room and the weapon and, and who did it. So I, I did enjoy that. That's part of why I consider that one. Like, yeah, that's, that's what really happened. That's but, canon. Yeah. <laughs> to the extent that there is such a thing with this. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I, I don't know if the reboot will ever happen, but it is fun to know that Leslie Ann Warren, Christopher Lloyd and Martin Mull all reunited to spoof the movie in an episode of the show Psych. Oh, which oh, the I did episode not know that. is entitled 100 Clues. Oh, I love that. So I've never watched the show, wow. but I might I might just watch that just to see what it's like. Oh, I will now. yeah, I do love when they do those kinds of things. I mean, it is great that like of the people that are still with us. I mean, so many of these people are like real workhorses. I mean, <laughs> between oh. like um, Tim, because, you know, when I go through like their uh, IMDb's like Tim Curry so far has 200 and 40 Whoa. acting credits. He was present at the monster palooza that we were at he a few was. weeks ago, what? but the <laughs> the line for his autograph or He was like photo, in a different building because yeah. he's big time. It was yeah. it was crazy. Like he he yeah. wasn't even People in the same him. building. And People they love, love him for an entirely different reason. Yeah. Because that's all horror. So yeah. um but like so he's has that all that going on Christopher Lloyd so far has 242 credits. Michael McKean is 247 credits. I mean, it's like working actors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They sure are. And I mean, how lucky for us that these people are still doing their thing because they're great. Um, as are you, Andy. <laughs> this has just been so fun. I knew it would be. I knew that 
I was just <laughs> that Derek and I were just going to have a great time and just there was no mystery as to whether <laughs> oh, this man. was going to go really well. <laughs> oh oh, oh man, well, well done, Derek. That was that was. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm taking a bow. Oh, a clue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, that doesn't quite fit, yeah. but I try. <laughs> no, it's good. That's a good one, too. Well, you know, oh, we first brought you on and we're introducing you. I mentioned just, you know, all the different wonderful creative endeavors that you have going on. And I was wondering if you wanted to share with our listeners what you have going on right now. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I, my husband and I made a film during the pandemic uh, called Buried and Isolated. And it plays oh, on TELUS Optic TV. You probably mm-hmm. can just Google Married and Isolated. And as a Canadian sort of a network series, we got some money from TELUS Story Hive. They, they really do help Canadian independent filmmakers. They give you a bit of cash and you're able to make something. And I still have money from that that I'm trying to make uh, see through daddy for them Mm -hmm. as well. So that will be um, fun when we finally get that off the ground. And then also lastly is I am planning to come back to LA. I'm up in Canada or Victoria, Canada, but I'm coming back to LA to finish my groundlings program. Like I can go back Mm -hmm. and do writer's lab, which means you're in there for eight weeks and you're doing two different shows, a lot of monologues and some sketches as well with your group of 12 people. And it's a lot of people, their intent is to audition for to be in the company for groundlings yeah. like the Sunday company than the main company but what I'm doing in the meantime to prepare is I have a YouTube page and I put it on TikTok and then I put them on YouTube but YouTube's probably the easiest way to find them at peak at this production so I'm just practicing monologue stuff that you would see at the groundlings so it's like what like it's very much an SNL feeding ground I'm nowhere near that level I'm doing this for fun uh but like as you probably are aware like Melissa McCarthy went there yeah. uh, Will Ferrell Maya Rudolph like um there's such there's such comedic talent there that I look up to and it's fun to be part of that like character creation comedy and it's such a fun um it's where I found a lot of like besides UCLA and our amazing uh work group together uh the Growlings is where I found sort of my comedy family as yeah. well yeah. So that, uh, yeah, that's oh, oh my goodness! All that stuff is absolutely amazing. I mean, you're in such tremendous company. Like that's, I mean, if I may, that speaks amazingly of you that you are part. Of, I know you're like, oh, I'm not in that, but don't <laughs> don't put yourself down in that way because, like, for you to be accepted into grad, I mean, that's just amazing. Selfishly, I'm still on the school I'm, side of it. <laughs> Well, I selfishly, I'm so excited at the prospect of you coming back to LA um, for for that. Yeah. And outside of that, like how awesome that your creative work is valued by like the nation in which you live and you are given resources to be able to actually bring to fruition some of your projects. Like that's just so cool. Like that that I just think is phenomenal that you and your husband got to do that and that you have like another project on the horizon. So just wishing you all the very best with all the different things that you have going on and so excited that we get to kind of like see what you've been doing. And certainly everybody, please check out her YouTube channel, check out her film and hopefully we'll have uh, more updates for everybody as your different projects come along. 
Thank you. This has been so much fun. It's such an honor. I love you guys. Derek, it's been so great getting to know you. It's been great uh, to meet you. This thank podcast. you. <laughs> Andy, thank you. It was a phenomenal conversation. We are so happy that you were able to come on the show and talk to us about it. It was great to meet you virtually. And it was <laughs> great to talk through this movie, which is just so much fun. It really is, which makes this next question kind of silly, but I say that all the time. <laughs> Derek, uh-huh. would you watch this movie again? Yeah, no, I. It's um, it is available for streaming on the <laughs> Paramount app. Sure, which we have for free right now. Okay, for whatever reason. <laughs> so what I mean to say is, am I going out of my way to see it? Maybe not, but now okay. that I know that we have access to it for however long, yeah, I might I might watch it again in like the not too distant future, just to try to figure it all out because there's a lot going on and it's a movie that really lends itself well to rewatches mm-hmm. once you like try to fact check all the explanations, the different endings, mm-hmm. and you watch it again, you see like, oh yeah, no, that's that's they tracked it correctly, and it's. It's inappropriate to reference this movie because this movie came afterwards, so it's really this movie mimicking Clue, but it's like The Sixth Sense where you like watch it again to see if you could pick up on the fact that, sorry, spoilers, he was dead the whole time. I will say Clue is slightly more fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Than a traumatized child seeing dead yep, people. Yep, yep, But look, you also have like... <laughs> people making out with dead people Uh, in this one. So maybe it's not more fun. I don't know. But you're absolutely right. And that's something that uh, Andy brought up as well, that for this being a movie that she loves as much as she does and she has seen it so many times, she still is finding new things when she watches it. And so it is a really fun movie in that regard. And like for me, the reason why it's absolutely yes for like wanting to watch this movie is I just – appreciate so much the performances especially I'm trying to think here I mean we've we've now at this point gone through you know certainly over 50 closer to 60 if not more films we have covered 3,000 films (laughs) and I feel like it's just really special when we can come across a comedy with several really small uh, strong female performances yeah so that's a good point yeah So I love it for that. Uh, As far as like a call to action, I mean, I, you know what it could be, because I'm, I'm really curious because of the way that they set it up and especially like what Andy was saying, where the original intention was that they would like swap out the endings. Yeah. I, I just have, you know, I, I don't know how how I can like verify well, this, but so it was Landis's idea to have three different endings playing at different theaters to entice people to go see it at different mm, like theaters. Gotcha. And that was then can like thought of as a contributing factor to its lackluster box office. So they, pe- the, the thinking was that like, well, people didn't react well to that. And instead of trying to see it at three different places, they just didn't see it at all. Mm. Well, I'm wondering then, like, how people first saw the film. Like, if there was a particular ending that they saw, did they always see it with all three endings? Yeah. Like, that's what I'm curious about, is how they saw the conclusion to this film. I'm trying to remember what I first... I I think I only ever saw 
what we saw with all the endings. Yes. I think there was a version that I saw, like probably one of the first times I saw it that only had one, if that was even possible. Okay. I don't, that's what I think it is. Yeah. So if you want to let us know how you first became familiar with the movie and what ending you saw, if it wasn't all three options, We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's the same handle for all three. It is at 80s Montage Pod. It is. Let me let me confirm that real quick. Yes. <laughs> You're not going to guess this next movie. <laughs> so that makes it mostly like every the end of every episode. But I'm very I'm honestly really excited because I think very, very rarely. Have we had a guest suggest a movie that neither you nor I were familiar with? Well, the last time that happened, it was probably Buckaroo Banzai, because I had not seen that yet. Oh, for why did I think you were somewhat familiar with the movie? I certainly wasn't. I was aware but, of its existence. Okay. Well, then you knew more than I did. Okay. But I'm really excited for this one. We are going to cover the film Fire... With fire. Fire with fire. And when I was like, oh, what's this movie about? I didn't really, it has like Virginia Madsen, it has Craig Schiffer, it has Gene Smart. So I'm really excited about this one. Yeah. In addition to the guest that we're going to talk about it with. So that that's coming up. That's the sneak peek. I mean, fire with look, fire. I, I love when we're able to go through a movie like Clue that we both know quite a bit about. Yeah. But also some of my favorite movies are movies that I've just experienced for the first time Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. this podcast. So that's awesome. So that is on deck. And in the meantime, just thank you so much for hanging with us. We really appreciate that with all the many, many, many podcast options that you are choosing to hang with us. Slam that like button. Subscribe. (laughs) Oh, no. No. We will talk to you again in two weeks' time.